What is Esper and why does it need not one, not two, but three former editors-in-chief to work there? I've got David Ruddock to tell us all about it, and believe me, he does. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we're talking to David Ruddock, former editor-in-chief of Android Police and current editor-in-chief of Esper, a software-as-a-service company that is putting together a crack team of writers and editors to tell its story. Esper is not a terribly complicated service, but explaining to companies why they might want it is, and David's got some of the best in the business to help him out. Plus, we're taking a look at my favorite set of earbuds like Ever the Anchor Soundcore Liberty 3 Pros. These earbuds check all the boxes I look for in a set of buds. They're seriously really good, but they're not perfect, as you'll soon see. And we'll get to all of that, but first we have to get to the news of the week. Before we dive into the news, I just wanted to give you a friendly reminder and a couple of updates to the giveaway that I'm running, and thanks once again to Lenovo. First of all, I've gotten a few new reviews for the show, and for those, I thank you. But what I have not gotten is an email with a screenshot of the review. I can't send you a prize if I don't know who you are, so please do so when you can. Take a screenshot and send it to contest at benefitofthedoubt.com, or... DM it to me at Dead Technology or Benefit of Doubt. I'm not picky. Two, I didn't mention this last week, but if you've already written a review for the show, by all means, take a screenshot of that and send it in. You don't have to write a brand new one, unless you want to on a different platform, because I wouldn't be mad if you did. Third, if you want to rate the show, you can visit www.ratethispodcast.com slash benefit. That will take you to a page that will direct you to any platform where you could rate the show. And what's cool is it shows you the platforms where you can rate the show from the device that you're using. So if you're on a PC, the options are different than if you're on an iPhone. That's clever, huh? So once again, it's ratethispodcast.com slash benefit. One other thing I never mentioned was that this giveaway will run through the end of the month. So any emails or DMs that I get that have a screenshot of a review in 2021 will count. But don't wait lest you drink too much on the 31st and forget that would suck. And finally, I mentioned earlier that any podcast patron gets an automatic entry. Except for one person. Cliff won't be winning anything from this giveaway. He's the co-producer here and fellow reviewer, so he doesn't get an entry. Plus, it wouldn't be very fair to have him audit a giveaway in which he wins something. So, sorry Cliff, no tablet for you. Anyway, if you want an entry and your name is not Cliff Thomas, go to ratethispodcast.com slash benefit and write a review for the show. Screenshot it, email it to contest at benefitofdoubt.com or DM it to me at Dead Technology or Benefit of Dowd, and I thank you. This week started off with some interesting news that Jack Dorsey is stepping down and leaving Twitter. His email to employees said that a company often needs to step away from its founder roots in order to grow and, you know, not be crappy. And he was definitely not talking about Mark Zuckerberg, except he was totally talking about Mark Zuckerberg. 
Casey Newton of Platformer goes over a long history of Jack's position in the company and speculates that Jack might not be stepping down for the altruistic reasons that he stated and instead might be getting the hell out of there before there's a giant cat fight in the halls of Twitter. Not a terrible idea, Jack. Jack recommended a replacement, and the board confirmed that replacement in the form of Parag Agrawal. Agrawal came on board at Twitter as an engineer 10 years ago and has worked his way up the chain since then, so good for him. What does that mean for Twitter? That remains to be seen, though I suspect there will still be no edit button because Twitter hates being useful. But beyond that, it'll be the same lovable, snuggly platform that we all know and love and... Whew, that does not sound right coming out of my mouth. Yes, I'm sure it'll still be a place that conservatives all cry about. And by the way, that leads us to our next story. About an hour after the announcement that Agrawal would be taking over, conservatives uncovered a tweet from him from 2010 that said, quote, If they are not going to make a distinction between Muslims and extremists, then why should I distinguish between white people and racists? Now... There's a few things you need to know about this tweet. First of all, in case it wasn't evident from the name, but Parag Agrawal is of Indian descent. I did not dig to find out if he actually practices Muslim, because it honestly doesn't matter in this case. But getting back to the tweet, conservatives across the country have pointed to this tweet as evidence that Twitter will not support freedom of speech, which is so star-spangled awesome... But that's fine, because Twitter is under no obligation to protect freedom of speech. Twitter, last time I checked, is not a government agency, and I'm really sick of making this distinction, especially to practicing politicians whose literal job it is to know this. But once again, I digress back to the tweet. This tweet was a quote from... Asif Mandvi on The Daily Show from 2010. So those aren't even Agrawal's words. But even if they were... Aren't they, you know, kind of true? I mean, one stereotype that Muslims and generally people of Middle Eastern descent tend to get grouped into is terrorists. And I'm not saying that I believe that, but it's a known stereotype and prejudice predominantly held by, survey says, white people. And Mandvi and Agrawal are simply pointing out that if white people are going to assume that all Muslims are extremists, then the flip side of that coin is that all white people are racist. That's a fair point. Both assuming that all Muslims are extremists and assuming that all white people are racist is extremely unfair. So personally, I don't really have a problem with the tweet because as Han Solo once said, must have hit pretty close to the mark to get them all riled up like that, huh kid? So basically, all of this is a very, very long way of saying, just shut up, and congratulations to Agrawal on the promotion. Well done for you. This week, Qualcomm held its annual Snapdragon conference in Hawaii, and I'm still not big enough to go. Sad. Maybe a review for the podcast might help that. Anyway, at the conference, we get the new generation of mobile chipset, which is not going to be called the Snapdragon 889. Predictably, Qualcomm looked at its number chart and realized it's going to run out of 800 numbers pretty soon. So it changed its naming scheme. The result is a simpler, air quotes, simpler, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. According to Qualcomm, the general public prefers the new naming structure by a ratio of 5 to 1. So for those keeping score, that's five people saying, sure, whatever, get out of my way, compared to one saying, hey, get away from my kid. So that's nice. 
This new generation of chip has a 20% faster CPU along with 30% power savings, so faster and longer, basically. The image signal processor goes from a 14-bit to an 18-bit ISP, which is 4,096 times better for those of you who could math. You can shoot up to 240 12-megapixel photos in burst mode, shoot in 8K HDR, and Qualcomm will be using a new Bokeh engine that is definitely not copying Apple's cinematic mode, except yes, it definitely is. So overall, faster, longer, and camera-er... So, all of that is very nice. Along with the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, and it's very easy to remember naming scheme, comes the Snapdragon 8 CX Gen 3, and... Okay, that's not really easy anymore. This processor is basically an Apple M1 competitor designed for laptops, and Qualcomm broke out the big book of marketing speak for this one. Get a load of this, quote... The Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3 will deliver up to 85% faster CPU performance when compared to competitive x86 platforms. Right. Competitive x86 platforms. Sure. Qualcomm also focused on video streaming this generation, and oh, I wonder what could have prompted that pandemic, excuse me. On the Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3, autofocus, white balance, and exposure will all be controlled by built-in AI elements on the processor. There's also a new security feature that uses Windows Hello to detect when you walk away from your laptop at locks the computer, also known as Lenovo's approach feature from about two years ago. The new processor will run on Windows 11, which is nice, and Qualcomm expects to see laptops coming from Microsoft and Lenovo in the not-too-distant future. That's about it for the Qualcomm conference, except for a gaming device that Qualcomm built with Razer, but it's for developers only, so it's not really news for us. Could point to fun things in the future, but I'll report on those if and when they happen. So, you know how the Amazon App Store is a literal dumpster fire? Well, it turns out things can actually get worse because the Amazon App Store is flat out busted on Android 12. As in, if you have Android 12 and you have the Amazon App Store installed, first of all, what are you thinking? But the second of all, the apps downloaded from the Amazon App Store just don't work. And yes, before you asked, this is an actual problem with the App Store, not just people trying to download abandonware that lives in the Amazon App Store. Like, seriously, it's terrible in there. Anyway, I digress. Amazon has actually started running a message in the App Store that says, quote, We're excited about Android 12 too. Unfortunately, we're working through some issues. Thank you for your patience as we get your App Store back. Um, what? <laughs> Did you just not test the App Store on, like, any of the betas that were out there for months and months and months? Android Authority reached out to Amazon and asked, how could this possibly happen? And Amazon responded by saying, quote, We are aware and are working to resolve an issue impacting app performance and launches for the small number of Amazon App Store users that have upgraded to Android 12 on their mobile devices. This issue does not impact Amazon Fire tablets or Fire TV devices. And let's just break this down here, shall we? A small number of Amazon App Store users that have upgraded to Android 12. Well, yeah, that number would have to be small because no one installs the Amazon App Store on a non-Fire tablet because the Amazon App Store is garbage. But you better believe that those that do are die-hard Amazon faithful and Amazon you got to hold on to those people. 
Oh, and this issue does not affect Amazon Fire tablets and TVs. Well, duh, because they don't have Android 12 and probably never will. So Amazon's response was less than helpful, but I guess that's a good thing that they bothered to respond at all. There are dozens and dozens of users out there counting on Amazon to get its crap together, so you can't let them down, Amazon. They're literally the only ones that give a crap about your app store. Australia, the country that I'm becoming more and more convinced knows less about technology than American politicians, has a new law that it's working on. You'll recall a couple months ago, Aussies passed a law that made media outlets liable for comments made on their social media posts. That, in turn, caused most news outlets to just turn off their Facebook pages because that's stupid, and no amount of traffic and ad revenue is worth dealing with that much stupidity. Well, now Australia wants to pass a law requiring social networks to identify trolls, and good luck with that one, Australia. As in, people are being big old meanies, and Twitter will have to tell everyone who that meanie is, but there's very little detail here about how Twitter would actually have to do that, or even who would they tell? Does it only count for users in Australia, or only if the affected people are in Australia, or does it have to be both? Look, I get it, and honestly, Australia's heart is in the right place here, but once again, the logistics here are simply untenable. There are too many ways this is flawed, and it seems premature to even be talking to the press about this. Again, I like the sentiment here, but the internet just doesn't work like that. First, publications are pulling out of Australia, and now would-be trolls will be pulling out of social media? Who's going to be left to, you know, actually use the internet there? And maybe that's the question that Australia should be asking. Last weekend was Thanksgiving, a traditional American holiday celebrated with family and friends and racist uncles across the country, and oh my god, we're all gonna die! That's actually not true, but Elon Musk sent a borderline panicky email to all SpaceX employees on Black Friday telling everyone that the company was in crisis and might go bankrupt if they didn't just drop whatever they were doing and get their little butts in and start building rockets. It seems the Raptor rockets being used to launch Star are critical to the company's survival, and Elon just found out that they don't have enough of them or something. As a result, he summoned all his workers back into the office over the weekend to help build them. Here's the thing, though. If this is a major crisis, it didn't come to a head this past weekend. It's actually been bad for a while, and maybe upper management, which includes Musk, by the way, just didn't notice it until this weekend rolled around, and frankly, Elon... That's not your employee's problem. That's a management problem. So it's irresponsible and frankly kind of weak to suggest that an extra couple of days of work will make everything all better. Seriously, if things are that bad, you should have noticed it a hell of a lot earlier. And if you didn't notice it earlier, day two of a four-day weekend is not the right time to tell everyone about it. You can let them enjoy their holiday and then call an all-hands meeting on Monday. Doing it like this is just a Dick move, and as Lauren Grush at The Verge points out, this is why you don't check your email on holidays. This week, Nokia decided to cancel any upgrades to the Nokia 9 PureView to Android 11. That's right, the Nokia 9 PureView will remain on Android 10 forever. But it's okay, Nokia customers, you can still get Android 11. Here's a 50% off discount code for the Nokia XR20. 
By the way, the Nokia XR20 is not anything like the Nokia 9 PureView. Near as I can tell, about the only thing that the XR has over the PureView 9 is the fact that it's actually going to get Android 11. Android 11, by the way, is over a year old, and there's absolutely nothing that guarantees Nokia won't do the same damn thing in another year. This is all just very not cool, Nokia. You can do better. At a time when manufacturers are promising more and more upgrade life, companies like Nokia and frankly, Motorola are cutting back on updates, and that's not a good strategy. Of course, it's far more likely that only nerds like you and me care about the latest version of Android. Most people probably just want their phone to run Facebook good and call it a day. I can't really argue with that, except more people really should care about security updates, if for no better reason than to force companies like this to keep up or just get out. And finally, Microsoft released its annual traditional ugly Christmas sweater, which until this year, I didn't even realize it was a tradition. And this year's design pays tribute to longtime Windows game Minesweeper with a minefield in the shape of a tree and mines serving as the ornaments. Microsoft is selling the sweater for $75, and I will not be buying one, but it's not because the sweater costs $75, even though that is a good reason not to buy one. No, I won't be buying a Minesweeper ugly sweater for one simple reason. Minesweeper is a trash game. Whoa, Adam! Are you speaking ill of the long-standing tradition of Minesweeper? It's an institution. You bet your ass I am, and here's why. A good, well-designed game should never, ever, ever come down to a guess at the end of it. We've all been there. We toil away at a Minesweeper board for six, seven, ten minutes, and then we get down to that one damn corner where there's four squares left and two of them have mines. That's bullshit, and I'm not beeping out that swear because this is some serious bullshit here. You can play a perfect game of Minesweeper, and at the end, all you have to do is flip a coin and hope for the best? Well, that's a badly designed game. Imagine a baseball game where, in innings 1 through 8, the Cubs are dominating the Pirates, like 27 to 2. But in the ninth inning, instead of batting, the Pirates bring out three Cubs and one of them has a ball under it. The Cubs pick up an empty cup and suddenly the Pirates win? That's a bad game, and I will not support it. Minesweeper is garbage, and I don't care how many listeners I lose because of this. I hate Minesweeper, and so should you. And there's a link in the show notes if you want to buy the sweater. Backend application API bugs attachment DevOps backend frameworks backward component oriented natural language software blue text editor bookmark Boolean web server. Welcome to Tech Yeah. This week for Tech Yeah, I'm going to talk about my favorite earbuds of the year, hands down. The Soundcore Liberty Pro 3 earbuds just came out a couple months ago, and I've been using them for several weeks, and they quickly supplanted any other buds in my repertoire. So let's get the basics out of the way. These are small and lightweight with built-in active noise cancellation and sound pass-through if you need to hold a conversation with someone. Sound is incredibly solid with great tones from the bass all the way up through the high tones. There's not a lot of latency when watching videos, but what I like most about these buds 
is the app that comes with them. You'll recall my review of the TCL Buds Pro a few weeks ago, and you'll remember that there was one thing missing that would have made those buds really awesome. Well, the Liberty Pro 3s have that. These buds allow you to fully program whatever taps you want. So you can set a single tap on the left to pause and a long tap to turn on transparency mode. On the right, you can use a single tap to increase volume and a tap and hold to decrease. Or if you want, you can use a single tap to increase volume and a long tap to rewind 10 seconds. It's really up to you. That wouldn't make any sense, but it's really up to you. Basically, you can have these earbuds jump through a hoop if you want them to. It's really awesome how much power this gives you. Additionally, the buds are not prone to accidental taps from adjusting them. One issue I ran into with the Samsung earbuds all the damn time was pushing the buds in a bit more and pausing my podcast. Not a problem here, but there are a couple things that you might find concerning. First of all, these buds are a little different in how they fit. The silicone tip doesn't go into your ear, but rather is kind of wedged into your ear up against the canal. Soundcore tells you to put the earbud into your ear and then give it a quarter twist to lock them into place. Personally, I did not find this to be uncomfortable, but I could see how one might get uncomfortable in the really long term. Keep that in mind. Another little quirk with these buds is the fact that you can't tap and hold to lower the volume more than one notch at a time. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I'd like the buds to continue lowering the volume as long as I'm tapping and holding. It's a minor thing, but it's worth talking about. And the final downside is, these buds are kind of expensive. They cost less than $170, which is nice, but feature to feature, they compare very closely to the TCL Buds Pro, which usually retail for about $70 less. So if the ability to program the buttons is worth $70, that's up for you to decide. The buds have wireless charging and USB Type-C charging. Battery life is very good. Soundcore says you'll get eight hours of playtime with another 24 hours in the case, and that seems consistent with my testing. The buds charge by popping into the case magnetically, but I have noticed occasionally one of the buds might get knocked out of alignment, which results in a dead bud when you go to use them, so be careful when putting them away. But aside from that, overall these buds check all the boxes that I would normally look for, and they don't break the bank. Comparable earbuds can be anywhere from $100 to $300, so this is a good middle ground. I've included a link in the show notes, and if you pick some up, you'll be helping out the show, and you'll have my thanks. But for now, let's get back to the show. Android is an incredibly versatile operating system, but few companies are really taking advantage of that fact, and that's where Esper comes in. Esper is a startup dedicated to using Android to make common, everyday experiences smarter using the power of Android and the connectivity that is basically everywhere. And while that's not something people like you and me really think about all that often, it's something that we all really want. But communicating that to the world is a difficult task because we all want it, but we don't necessarily know that we want it or want to talk about it. So when David Ruddock, former editor-in-chief of Android Police, assembled a team of storytellers, including two other former editors-in-chief, that sounds like a story I want to hear. So to tell us that story, we have the man himself, David Ruddock. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. That was a really wonderfully written intro, I have to say. Much better intro than I think that I could have even written for a team. So well, good. Um, a few delivery hiccups aside, you know, A plus. 
Um, I don't know what you're talking about. That all comes out in post, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so thanks for having me on, Adam. Um, Yeah, I mean... I can send you that script if that would help. Oh, yeah, Um, totally. Actually, like, there's some little pieces in there I might want to pull out. But, uh, yeah, explaining what we do, and by we, I mean Esper does, is one of the, really, the key challenges of, you know, why we're here. Um, yeah. Even though that doesn't track as a sentence, but that is really why we're here is we're here to talk about something that for most people, A, is not something they think about in the first place, which is like, what operating system is the tablet in the back of my airplane seat running? Um, right. Not not tending to be something that, you know, your average person is uh, pontificating on on your uh, on your average flight. Um, mm. Or like, you know, the the way I like to tell the story of people, people always ask like, OK, but where where is your product? Where does it go? What does it do? And I'm like, well, you know, imagine a screen and imagine places you see screens and imagine screens that probably you either have a very limited interaction with the very specific thing or that you don't touch at all. And so those could be things like let's use the airport. The airport is actually the perfect example of an entire bunch of ecosystems that um, are company could potentially touch so you uh you go to the airport you're in your lift um in the back of that lift is a tablet and that tablet is hooked up to some kind of third-party system that serves you an advertisement in the back of the car what operating system does the tablet run how is it serving the advertisement you know what is the like the setup process like how many of those tablets are out there in the world the thousand ten thousand a hundred thousand um if you're very successful how do you manage all of those tablets like what if you are the company that makes those advertisements and the way you do that is an android app on these android tablets that run probably something like a relatively low mid-range mediatek processor and maybe cost you know 150 200 dollars per unit pretty cheap um for a consumer but let's say you know you have your app on there and um, it turns out you're accidentally serving ads, you know, for like a half pound hamburger to a bunch of people who have, you know, vegan in their advertising ID profile. Um, and you're like, oh, no, that's not good. Um, that's probably going to be a bad experience for those people. And you have to submit an app update. Well, now there are a couple of ways you could do that. You could, um, for example, if these tablets ran the Google Play Store and your app was just updated through the Play Store. You update your app on the Play Store and and eventually all those tablets download the application update. And if you use manage Google Play, you can like push that update to them. Um, but that's like the cleanest version of reality. And so that is the primary problem we solve is that okay. we help companies deploy software to these very specific use case devices. And I use the taxi tablet as an example, but you could also have like, let's say you walk into the airport and there's a big monolith like map and you can touch it. Like it's a map and it's a touch screen and it shows you like here where the here's where the food court is. Um yeah. like okay, that experience. What do you need for that? Well, you need some kind of touch controller. You probably you still need an operating system, and probably you're gonna need some kind of user interactivity pieces there. It's probably running a pretty complex app on top of there to manage that experience. Again, yeah. Another case, um, let's say you're checking in your bags at the airport and it's the bag check machine and you scan your boarding pass. What operating system does that computer run? How does it get updates? That's really what we're focused on are what we call dedicated use devices. So computers that they can move, but generally probably don't move a lot. 
um, mm-hmm. generally are plugged in. Not to say that we don't do mobile. We 100% do mobile devices as well, and we have quite a few. But generally speaking, constant power supply. And also, generally speaking, run one app all day, every day. And that is all they do. And so... So does Esper make the hardware? Do they make the operating system? Do they make the app? Do they make all of the above? I mean, what? what so where does Esper come into that conversation? We don't make hardware. So that is right. one thing okay. I will clear. We don't make hardware. We make an operating system. So this Lenovo tablet right now has Esper enhanced Android on it. I flashed it okay. myself. Um, what does that do? is the next question. Well, Esper Enhanced Android, like I said, it's one of two things. The other side is our our management, um, which is like how you manage all those devices that either do or don't run Esper Enhanced Android. Our management tools can manage any Android device, whether or not they run our version of the Android OS. Um, Okay. Now that said, if they run our version of it, we can do a lot more. So we can do those things like deploy app updates. And not only can we do that, our management tools let you control that with immense granularity, which for these dedicated devices, thing to remember, if you were, for example, a fast food restaurant and you have 10,000 in-store tablets around America, well, you need to push out a critical update to those tablets. How excited are you going to be if any of them break? during that process. Um, yeah. You have to develop a giant piece of documentation, which you then send out to each of these stores. And then you get a subgroup of stores that were unable to complete your documentation. And then you get one-on-one with them. And then right. you can't fix it over Zoom. And then you're like, okay, we have to send a tech out to your store. Um, right. That is awful. Also, it's so slow. Like, you could be talking about a process that's taking literal months. And so mm-hmm. what we're enabling companies to do is take that and just, like, be like, okay, imagine all of those devices are in the next room and you have that level of control over them and you can see what happens. Like, okay, if an update fails, um, you can send back the original package and install the old version again. Um, you can see which ones failed, which ones were out of range, um, which ones we're going to try again tomorrow morning and check again if they're there. All these kinds okay. of tools that just make doing that more repeatable and also the big thing is scalable so it's how it's not a question of how do i push an app update to five devices it's how do i do it to five thousand of them and make sure that that is something i can do over and over and over again that is a much harder question to solve (laughs) and that is really like that is what of our what our customers really love us for is building that now If we want to get into the side of why I'm here, now that we've explained the basics of the product, which, again, I understand. I was just going to say, now let's talk about telling that story because you've – because, okay, so just for some context, some of my listeners may not know, we've got you, former editor-in-chief of Android Police, who came over. You were like the OG that came over, but then you recruited – I can never remember his last name, but Michal from Michal Raman, yeah, Raman. Okay, from um, from XDA Developers, former editor in chief there, plus Cam Summerson, who was actually just on the show when he was still editor in chief of Review Geek, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't that long ago. Number one reason is Esper builds a version of or builds an operating system based on Android. Um, right. We all come from the Android world, um, Michelle and I especially, but also Cam. Cam worked at Android Police for a number of years back in the day. That's how I got to know mm-hmm. Cam. Um, but Esper, what they set out to do, and we we work on the marketing team at Esper, and what they set out to do was, okay, we have a product here that is A, 
pretty complex to explain to people, and B, that is based on a technology that in the world of like very serious enterprise computers and like that do these very weird niche things, there isn't a lot of actual content around that. Um, Mm, because I mean, there are a lot of reasons for that. Number one is that the space we play in traditionally has been owned by windows. Um, so what you're seeing over time is that we've all seen it. Windows, um, embedded platforms are dying off. Windows seven embedded, um, has end of life that happened a month ago. Okay. Actually. And so they're working with a couple partners to like extend it a couple years beyond that, but very select group of people. And so you have a lot of companies coming out and asking like, okay, we don't want to keep using Windows because we don't think that's like a support, you know, kind of vision that's, you know, or that's not really like Microsoft's yeah. not like really focusing on that anymore. And so they're looking for like any business is the most cost effective but complete solution that gets them to where they want to be with whatever it is they're trying to do. Um, and that's, you know, you know, part of the story that we also do want to tell is that this technology like actually makes people, you know, who are in these industries makes their lives easier. It takes a lot of like the, you know, like the mental lifting, um, hopefully off of them and lets them focus on the actual like customer service side of things, which is, you know, yeah. what these businesses want too. Yeah. So, so it seems like almost like a perfect storm of events coming together to right. um, make Esper, you know, potentially very successful. Yeah. And so the reason they wanted content, you know, around that is that we are a little bit ahead of where the industry is going right now. So we we summarize the the business as DevOps for devices, which is like totally foreign to anybody who is not a software developer. Um, And I didn't even know what it was before I started. Um, But the idea is, and the way to think about like why businesses are considering this, imagine the way apps are developed today. So for example, like if you are, you know, let's say Google and you're making the Gmail app, like, and your engineers are committing code, like to like tons of different branches. Like you've got betas, you've got canaries, you've got dog food, bug food, all these other Mm -hmm. builds. This all happens automatically, right? Like nobody is like having to walk into the server room and, and upload the Gmail APK into the box. (laughs) Like this all happens in the cloud. Um, Yeah. And so that is the way software developers have thought about software development for a long time. So you're like okay i you know like need to i've got this new build um it goes to deployment deployment does their thing or operations does their thing make sure it goes to all of the infrastructure it was supposed to go to updated code is just there um like truly magically enjoying this interview did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version the full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt for as little as two dollars per month you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show plus you'll get additional benefits like access to my discord early podcasts bonus live shows and so much more just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt that's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt 
And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. That's benefitofthedoubt.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. Now, what we want to do is make the world think about actually installing software on these dedicated devices that way. You just get your code, your app ready, you deploy it, you're done. And telling that story actually is a big part of why Cam and Michelle and I are here, not specifically to tell that story, but to tell people why Android is really the perfect platform to be able to do that. And the answer okay. for that is really... Android was built for the internet age. It was built for wireless, um, specifically. And it was built to also be, like, pretty extensible and quite powerful for developers. So Android has a lot of cool things going for it. And you have a ton of companies out there who imagine your Coca-Cola. How much institutional knowledge about Android do you think Coca-Cola has? Probably not much. How much about as much as Congress, right? How much institutional knowledge, but do you think Coca Cola has of Windows? Like, mm, yeah, probably a fair bit. Um, yeah, and so that is really one of the big challenges for us on the content side is you have these big companies out there who you know do understand IT infrastructure, understand technology, and probably have been Windows, maybe Linux, or maybe even Mac. That's unlikely, but mostly Windows. Right. Um, yeah, and, and you're having to learn about this new operating system. You know, maybe their executives use Android phones or maybe they have some Android-like tablets that they use for some things internally for corporate, like maybe booking meeting rooms or something. Um, Very basic stuff. But the idea that Android is going to be the technological basis for platforms you're putting out in front of customers, that's a new world. That is something that is really, really evolving. Now, we saw Apple really get out in front of that because Apple was able to get in front of companies that were wanted a really polished, really high-end, nice experience, and um, also were willing to live in the limits of that Apple set for its walled garden, um, which it right. does for businesses just as much as it does consumers, trust me. Um, mm. and, and not to say it's a bad platform for that. It's just very limiting. Like, there are certain things you just can't do. So while an iPad may be a great tablet for checking people into your restaurant and it just sits out there all day... Um, you know, it may be a really bad tablet for like getting people's bags checked in at the airport because it's not big enough. Um, like maybe it's not durable enough, or maybe it doesn't fit into the physical box you were trying to make it fit in all these weird things. And that's just hardware on the software side. Like that's, that's a whole other can of worms. And you also have to, you know, one of the things to remember is that when you decide on these platforms for, to be customer facing, you are doing what's called, you're investing in a mission-critical product. Like, if your check-in bag uh, computers don't work and you're United Airlines, you're going to have a bad time. Um, yes, you're not going to have a good day. Yeah, and your customers <laughs> are not going to have a good day, and they're going to let you know, and um, that's a way you could yeah. potentially lose business. And so we say these yeah. are mission-critical devices. And so when you are United and you're thinking about, okay, what kind of OS do these computers run, you might say, for example, Linux. Um 
And that sounds interesting at first. You're like, okay, Linux, you can build anything, right? It's the platform of platforms. Like you are yeah. starting on like bedrock, um, you know, and you can make it look and feel any way you want. Now, that's true. You can. You could build the perfect like baggage check-in experience with Linux. I have no doubt. Um, but you need to also become a Linux company. So t telling people about that is part of why we're here. The other side of, you know, why we're here explicitly is to tell like customer stories, like what our customers doing with our product, like a, a cool example that actually is consumer facing. Um, we're working with a company called Inspire Fitness and um, they should have their product to actual retail market here pretty soon. There's some supply chain stuff that is affecting literally everybody. But uh -huh. they came to us and they said, okay, um, you know, we distribute with a big box company in the U.S. And they're telling us, like, hey, we need to have a Peloton compete, which is a way of saying a Peloton comparable product. Something that competes with Peloton. So you need yeah. a spin bike with the screen. <laughs> That's what that means. Spin bike, screen, and internet. Um, how do you do that? Well, the company that came to us was like, we've never done that. We build bikes with dot matrix displays. Like, you know, we, that's that's a computer. Um, yeah. So totally different thing. And they came to us and we helped them pick the hardware. So we don't make hardware, but we can help companies pick the hardware. Like be like, this is a good platform sure. for you. Meets your ticks, your boxes. And then we, you know, also help them like, hey, this is probably a good way to go down your software development path. But where we really helped is on the OS side. Like, you know, hey, these are running our operating system. We'll make sure you get your monthly security patches because we're developing yeah. those. Um, you know, and down the road, if you want to upgrade to a new major version, version of Android will also let you do that, um, which is something you don't find in this world. So this kind of begs the question, um, and I promise that this does get back to why we're here, where were all <laughs> these companies going before they had a solution that was more complete? And where are they still going? Because Esper is still a startup, right? Right. Um, and the answer is like, basically, there are a few places you can go. Number one is to Google. Um, and you can say like, hey, I want, you know, I want the Google Play Store. I want all this jazz. And that's great for a lot of use cases. But like I said, the hardware is more expensive and your choices of hardware super limited. Um, yeah. There just aren't many pieces out there, especially if you want something weird. Like, and that is something customers come to us with, come to us frequently with, which is I need something that is strange and it doesn't look like a smartphone or a tablet that you can buy. Why we're here is to tell companies why that makes sense, why Android is the right platform to do that, and then also why the existing tools just aren't very good, which they aren't. They're bad. We're educating our customers on what Android can do because a lot of them don't really know. They're not Android experts. They're not mm -hmm. really – there is no institutional Android knowledge there, and we're trying to help them build that up and say like, hey, actually, you know, Android 12L is coming. So we have tons of customers on large format devices. So 10 inches, 9 inches or bigger or whatever, something that looks like a tablet. Google's yeah. obviously introducing changes in 12L that affect devices with large displays. Our customers probably want to know about that, even if Android 12L will not be a going concern with them until 2023. But, right, but even so, in the meantime, lay the groundwork now. You want a plan. You want to know what's yeah. coming. And so that's a big part of it for us also is that having people like Michal on the team, like he's helping us do inside research. <laughs> like, you know, there's, you know, when he learns something about Android, we're learning something about Android. And when yeah. we learn something about Android, our OS that we build based on Android <laughs> learns something about Android. So that's, that's a big yeah. part of it. The other side is really just that 
we're journalists and the way we approach content and the way we approach telling stories and explaining things is very different from people in a marketing capacity. Um, we write to an audience. We don't write to a customer. Um, you know, we, yeah. we are writing for people who ostensibly want to gain an insight, learn something, walk away with more than they had. Um, we're not here to sell them something. We're, we're here to educate and to like show them like, hey, this is a cool idea. Have you considered doing it? Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you're doing that? What are some of the ways that you're telling your story? I saw um, Cam started up a newsletter um, just uh, this past week, I believe. Actually, when this airs, it'll have been like two or three weeks ago, but still. Uh, what are some of the other ways that you're that you're telling that story? Yeah, so there are a few things we're doing with the community. Um, number one, we're doing a Twitter space every week. I love it because Twitter spaces have such a, like, you can just jump in. Um, mm -hmm. and you can have cool people who are like influencers in your world. Like we've had Ron Amadio on a few times, had Daniel Bader. Um, we've had some devs on Kieran Quinn. It's a place where what I like is that because it's ephemeral, I think people are more comfortable. Um, it doesn't feel like something branded and really formal. It's a place you can just okay. sit down and be like, Hey, like this last week we talked about Android 12 L some more specific changes that were coming. And it was just to talk about that. Like, that's why we were there. Um, mm -hmm. and I like that because it's a way to engage with the community in a way that is like, I, I guess that like, I just like the informality of it. <laughs> it it sure. also just feels very organic. Like if you want to listen to it, you know, it's there, but you know, if not, it'll be back next week and you know, you can see whatever we're discussing. We're also looking at uh, the newsletter, like you mentioned. So uh, Cam mm -hmm. Summerson, who ran an amazing newsletter over at Review Geek and How To Geek um, is running that newsletter for us. Um, the name of it is going to change, so I won't say the name, but um, okay. we soft launched last week. Um, um, which is, you know, we got the first draft of the newsletter out. Um, you should go read it. It's got an exclusive column every week by Michelle talking about really the inside, like inside insides of Android. We're talking like the inside baseball of the inside baseball. Um, yeah. Truly some really nitty gritty details about things that you probably didn't even read about in the Android news world necessarily outside of like Twitter mm -hmm. or various threads like that. We're trying to get some of those more esoteric and weird conversations a little bit of a home um, so that people can actually like, you know, maybe be involved with them and see what's going on on a deeper level. So that yeah. is like the way we're engaging the community so far. Um, you know, we'll be at events and stuff next year for sure. Um, I'll be at CES if anybody wants to talk to me there. I don't know if I'll have an Esper demo to give or anything, but, um, you know, happy, happy to talk about it. But yeah, that's why we're here. And, um, you know, what, what tons of play, tons of businesses in the enterprise world are figuring out is that if you bring people who know how to write content and know how to write about it knowledgeably and to speak to people as other human beings, um, it's a good it's a good way to attract customers at the end of the day. So yeah, definitely. That's you know, that's kind of the play. Cool. Well, now, normally at this point in the in the conversation, I would say, you know, go ahead and let people know how they can find you. I think we just covered a lot of that. But if you want to give us a quick recap, um, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, give you the floor so you can help, you know, let people know how they can learn more about Esper, more about you, more about what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. So the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, if you want to learn more about Esper, and I, I can't blame you if you're not going to go to our website, we're not really applicable to most consumers. It's blog.esper.com. <laughs> 
Android.io. There's some stuff there that actually, if you're an Android nerd, though, you'll probably find fascinating. Uh, Michelle's Android 12L hands-on deep dive is, like, really good. Like, you're going nice. to learn everything about Android 12L there. We also have his changelog for the CDD, the compatibility definition document for Android 12 uh, posted. If you are in the space of, like, just wanting to know, like, how to build the device and what's required um, of building that device. And then also, you know, we've got some content around restaurants and retail, but, you know, that that tends, again, not to be very consumer-facing. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at RDRV3. Michelle is at Michelle Raman, and Cameron is at Summerson. Um and we're all on Twitter. We're all very active there. And, you know, if you want to be, for example, on our weekly Twitter space, like you have something cool to say about Android, just, you know, shoot me a DM and we'll see. I can't promise I'm going to let everybody on. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're always happy to have people, even if you're from like, you know, like not necessarily like in the direct Android world, but if like you have something you want to say about this space or something like, let me know. Um, the coolest yeah. thing about our business is that we get to work with companies that, like really span the gamut, everything from like home COPD care devices to um, warehouse forklifts to um, stationary bikes to restaurant tablets, um, like um, to walkie talkies. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a lot of weird stuff. So uh, when is that Twitter space? Uh, I, I know oh, I've yeah. seen it a few times, but yeah, what what's the uh, time for that uh, day and time we are trying to keep that at um 12 p.m pst every wednesday um okay it's been on tuesdays the last couple weeks but it should go back to wednesday now and we're going to try to make that pretty regular um so if you nice. like ron amadio or um you know we've also had on why am i totally blanking now we've had on several people we'll have on more um there will be names and faces that you recognize from that world Nice, nice. And now I know how to pr properly pronounce them audio because I have not been doing it correctly for the last 18 months. So good to know. Thank you very much, David, for coming on. It was a great story. And uh, I look forward to hearing more stories from you in the future. And we'll have you on again here sometime. Thanks for having me, Adam. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank David Ruddock for coming on and talking all about Esper. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would write a review for the show. And you might just win something, too. You can write to the show by visiting benefitofadow.com slash contact. And, of course, I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.